Well, I'm thankful for all who have led us in worship this morning. Thankful for, for our uh, melody makers and all those that have helped. Thankful for Nick Dawson, a young adult in our church, bringing the generosity moment this morning. Nick was the fourth best intern I've ever had here at second. So you'll, you'll always have that. You'll always have that. We are continuing a sermon series this morning entitled Rediscovering Church. When I was in seminary, my roommates and I decided we would run and we would train for the Richmond Marathon. One of us was an avid runner. Another was a competitive athlete that lettered in basketball and football. And I was the third person in that group. Our lives had much more free time then than they do now, and we filled our hours each week training. The marathon is 26.2 miles, but the real giant to slay is the training. Most weeks would involve three to four days of running, and as the training progressed, these runs got longer and longer. And this is work preparing an athlete's body for the challenge ahead of them. The race itself is very challenging. It's so mid-November in 2014, and that was the first weekend in Richmond. It really felt like winter weather. I think it was 26 degrees when the race began. Despite the cold weather, the marathon in Richmond is known as America's friendliest marathon. And thousands of people line the streets with signs and noisemakers, all seeking to encourage these athletes and these tired runners. All three of us completed the race, we celebrated our accomplishments, and then the thought crept in, what will we do with all of this free time now? There was certainly no point in going out for a run. What was there to train for? A similar mindset is seen in the lives of early Christians, and especially these Jewish converts in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 10, we see some of the same trends that are now present in postmodern Western Christianity, that is, generation, general, congregation decline. The book of Hebrews is essentially a sermon offered to this gathered congregation, and the functional question is about Christian living. In chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews offers an invitation for community to be organized into a new way of living a new type of covenant and reality offered by the death and the resurrection and the saving power of Jesus Christ. Let's listen for God's word and God's call within Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us pray together. God, may the words of my mouth 
and the meditations of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight. Amen. The writer of Hebrews makes it clear in several chapters that Jesus is the great high priest. And this image would really connect with a formerly Jewish audience. But it's surprising for a reader in 2022 to hear such a modern problem in an ancient context, the issue of church attendance. For much of the New Testament, it seems that the early church is in the startup heyday. In the story of Pentecost in the book of Acts, it mentions 3,000 people being baptized and connected to the church. Elsewhere, scripture tells of individuals and families joining the congregation of believers daily, not just weekly, but daily. This chapter in the book of Hebrews seems to suggest that the gathered congregation has started to falter in attendance and overall participation. The trend of declining church attendance and church participation is certainly evident in 2022. James Emery White, in his book on Generation Z, shares some research and done in coordination with the Barna Research Group. The question posed to these individuals that qualified themselves as unchurched was, how did the church and those inside it lose you? 36% of these respondents said that church services are usually boring. Only 12% said that they did not believe in God or were unsure if God existed. But 74% said there is no value in attending church. As White puts it, such studies point to a culture saying, God, yes, church, no. However, the global church is growing, primarily in the global south, in Africa and South America. But for us in North America, some have started to engage with a consumeristic mindset to encourage church attendance. Sometimes this looks like shooting free t-shirts out of a t-shirt cannon or raffling off large prizes. Or even some churches are roping off a VIP section for celebrities to come and worship. While poking a little fun at the ridiculousness of these marketing strategies within churches, the underlying question remains, what is the value of church membership. A student asked me just last week in the comments, does it cost anything to come to our church? Uh, of course not, there is no admission fee. Anyone can come to our church and worship God. There's no cost to coming to church. But a different question was asked in the early church that's still relevant today. What is the value of Christian community? Certainly there is value of Christian community higher than a minister to officiate your wedding and a group of people to attend your funeral. For the first readers of the book of Hebrews, there was likely some legitimate confusion about the necessity of gathering for worship. For their lives were once occupied by the order of sacrifices and rites for purity. These new Christians knew that Jesus had offered the perfect sacrifice with his life and death and resurrection, and in light of that, what now will order their lives? How then shall they live? Much ink has been spilled about the growing number of individuals 
that proclaim a belief in a creator God, and they even affirm the identity of Christian, but they do not attend church with any sort of regularity. Some have referred to this group as spiritual, but not religious. Interestingly, there is a growing group of persons that attend church, but they do not connect in a substantial way through missional service or the giving of an offering or deep, meaningful Christian friendships. Journalist Ruth Graham, a Christian and a graduate of Wheaton College, but of no relation to Billy Graham, she started a new moniker in 2018 in her article for Slate. Graham says ashamedly, I'm the kind of Christian that many adults warned me about as a child. I've been a church member for most of my adult life, but I have at times gone years without regular church attendance. My theology is squishy, and I really don't pray, just to name a few qualities that put me on the breezy outer edge of Christianity's big tent. I think of myself as religious, but not spiritual. We have some that are spiritual, they believe that God exists and may even pray with some regularity, but they're distrusting of religious institutions and would likely not seek guidance on spiritual matters from a church. And then there are others that worship periodically. They're even maintaining church membership, but they're not spiritually connected as disciples following Jesus. This is a moment where the horizon of cultural questions regarding the purpose and the mission of the church, about church attendance and participation and lack of engagement within believers, meets the horizon of an ancient text. As Jane Fahey states in her commentary, the entire letter of Hebrews is a teaching sermon preached at a community deemed in need of hearing again the basic elements of the oracles of God. The basics, as laid out by the writer of Hebrews, takes the form of a homiletical salad. I'm hopeful that you'll remember this passage and connect this to your memory. I'm calling it a homiletical salad because there are three direct charges that in most English translations begin with, let us, let us, let us. Let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of our faith. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. It used to be that only the high priest was able to enter the Holy of Holies, and only on special occasion. The instructions for entering this space are incredibly specific. But in contrast, due to this new and living way, we can enter into any holy place with confidence. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we are no longer in need for a human priest to intercede for us. We have Jesus, the great high priest, who tears down the curtain in Matthew 27, 50 to 51, but instead we have a priesthood of believers, those who have direct access to God without the need for another human being in between. With this direct access, some may wonder, why the need for the church then? If a Christian believer can commune with God and worship in any location at any time, why would the church proceed with communal and corporate gatherings for worship? Why would the church engage believers in, in Bible studies for fellowship? 
Why would the church invest in formational activities for children and youth together? While some believers may think they do not have need for community, the community certainly has need for them. Christian community is not about bolstering attendance numbers, though, or having a crowded sanctuary. Instead, the reason that we gather is that we have confidence in this new and living way through Christ. It's no, connect, or no coincidence that this homiletical salad, these let us statements, connect with one of the particular ordinances of Christian and particularly Baptist polity. The first let us statement talks about approaching with full assurance of our faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean and our bodies washed with pure heart, with pure water. And the next let us statement tells us to hold fast to the confession of our faith without wavering. To me, and maybe to you, I see a picture of baptism with a new Christian believer offering the confession that Jesus is Lord and being immersed and washed clean in water. While there is one candidate for baptism at a time, this is certainly no private action. Generally, there is a gathered congregation we serve as witnesses and encouragers. And simply put, we cannot baptize ourselves. The last let us statement is perhaps the most important and the most challenging. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Sky Jatani is a pastor and a Christian author and he wrote about this passage from Hebrews 10 in his daily devotional fairly early in 2020. The COVID-19 pandemic had made large gatherings like this much more complicated. Jatani recognized the continued importance of meeting together with fellow believers, but he also articulated that this type of community is more than just being in the same physical location with others. In the summer of 2020, he writes, this kind of one another encouragement commanded in Hebrews is personal, relational, and reciprocal. He continues, it's not accomplished by passively sitting in a theater seat watching a performance. This kind of encouragement requires us to be fully present and engaged. It's the arm around a shoulder, praying together with tears, let me help you carry that kind of burden gathering. It's the kind where no one is invisible and everyone is known. The sacrifice and death and resurrection of Jesus have opened the curtain once and for all. And now we can be assured with full confidence that we are saved and sanctified and redeemed and baptized. We can hold to our confession that Jesus is Lord, not because of our own certainty, but because of Christ. We can move closer to one another and encourage one another to love and good deeds. As Second Baptist continues to grow, we will continue to feel the need to move closer to one another in congregational care and hospitality and in encouraging one another. We must be careful, though, not to close off, but to hold one another loosely, making room for others as well. For everyone needs encouragement. Kate Bowler is a historian and professor at Duke University. She has a PhD and is a New York Times bestselling author. 
when she turned 35, she was a wife, a mother, and she was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. Her chances of survival were 1 in 10. She shares this book, or these words from her book, No Cure for Being Human. I needed so much help, financially, emotionally, physically, and I would not have survived without the compassion of strangers and friends. I saw it everywhere. Neighborhoods, businesses, community organizations, churches, in the park, in the grocery store, in the hospital, I found myself repeating the same thing over and over and over again. Life is so beautiful. Life is so hard for everyone. These words are now painted on the side of the Brightleaf building on the corners of Duke and Maine in downtown Durham. Life is so beautiful. Life is so hard. As we recognize that life is difficult and challenging, we may be tempted to distance ourselves from others, and others may intentionally or unintentionally distance themselves from us. There are times when a phone call or a text message or an intentional conversation can be meaningful and transformational. There are also moments where words are insufficient, where words fail, but presence matters. There are moments we need redirection, to be spurred on by fellow believers. And in tremendous humility and great Christian care, we should move closer to one another, provoking one another to love and good deeds. Hebrews 10 challenges us to move closer to one another in care and Christian love. It also reminds us that engaging worship and powerful preaching shouldn't fill the pews. It should empty them. Empty them to Christian service. Empty them to closer relationship and accountability, provoking one another to the likeness and image of Christ. A few years ago, my roommates and I woke up early on a Saturday in mid-November. We laced up our shoes, but they weren't running shoes this time. We filled up our coffee mugs instead of water bottles, and we waited at the corner of Hermitage and Bellevue. We weren't running the race this time, but we were cheering on those that were. We had been so impacted by those that had lined the streets for us and cheered us on, we felt it only right for us to show up for them. As Miroslav Volf puts it in Exclusion and Embrace, inscribed on the very heart of God's grace is the rule that we can be its recipients only if we do not resist being made into its agents. What happens to us must be done by us. The Gaither Vocal Band puts it this way, I then shall live as one who's learned compassion. I've been so loved that I'll risk loving too. Meeting together as fellow believers may seem unnecessary, but it is in these relationships that our faith and the faith of others grows and blossoms. In close Christian friendships, there is proximity and vulnerability and the opportunity to be really, truly honest. Meeting together is beyond church attendance, but instead we are challenged to engage in daily living with one another. Jesus, as the great high priest, has granted us freedom 
And our response should not be personal piety. Jesus is no ordinary priest. And this freedom granted through his life and death and resurrection does not result in us needing to fulfill God's needs, but meeting together meets our own human needs. Friends, the gift of Christ has saved us and opened heaven's gates for all to enter in. And our response should be a new way of living, only made possible by the gift of Christ. So let us approach with a true and full assurance of our faith. In bold faithfulness, we can live our lives in connection with others because that's what Jesus modeled for us. The Christian life has no lone rangers, but instead we are pilgrims on a journey together. Let us hold fast to the confession of our faith without wavering. Even when life is challenging and changing, Jesus is still Lord. We can hold strong to our convictions and the tenets of Scripture because the one in whom we put our faith is faithful. Let us not neglect the importance of being together and provoking one another to love and good deeds. We are not mere spectators of God's work. We are participants and active agents for the gospel. As a body of believers, we work for one another's good and the building up of the body of Christ. Amen.